0: Hey, uh, before we start, uh, should I put Sean Johnson on Clear in my fantasy team?
1: <laughs> well, welcome back to the Power Podcast. This week, I'm joined by Bertie.
0: Hey, how's it going? Forty. Hey, fellas.
1: Ham. I'm um, yo. And PM, settle down, PM. You're quick to get into I'm it, excited. But you yeah, just got to wait. Bit
2: premature there, but it's all right now. I've calmed down.
1: Yeah, well, that might have been premature. Our like, uh, predictions for last week's scores. Um, <laughs> all right, well, we'll dive straight into it with a little bit of Eels news. Yeah, not specifically Eels News, but the uh, NRL is bringing back a Hall of Fame. Um, any takes on that, boys?
3: I love it. Uh, it was about time they elevated and restored the Hall of Fame to where it should be. I love the Immortals Initiative too, but the fact that the Hall of Fame sort of being set aside for so long meant that there were so many tremendous players that deserved their time in the spotlight that sort of just was shoved aside. So having that two-tiered sort of Legends approach is fantastic and you know having the hall of fame and then the immortals gives rugby league a, a really great uh, tie to its its roots and its legacies.
0: Yeah, didn't yeah. we have um, oh, something similar? did we have something similar back in 2008 like for the 100 They named
1: history? their centenary teams. Oh. So I think the people that were in the centenary team are sort of in the the hall of fame so to speak and they're going to introduce x amount of players every so often. I think the proposals to have 8 and then possibly two more immortals.
3: That that was one of the biggest gripes, wasn't it? That you couldn't install Daily Messenger, the father of rugby league, into the Immortals initiative because of that criteria. Exactly
2: right. Yeah, and I think now the way they've changed it, it's going to be so much better. And long as they don't overdo it, you can't go in and say, right, in that in that that first section there, we're going to put ten blokes in. I think you need to pick three or four, no more than that, and and try and keep it. So it's a very elite. Like there'd be a lot more people. In, Some guys, Hall of Fame, yes. Are they good enough to be immortals? Maybe not. The immortals have got to be that one step, that one sort of rung ahead of everybody else. It's like getting the gold medal at the Olympics and the Hall of Fame is like being a bronze medalist pretty much.
1: Yeah, well, I think it sort of touches on that uh, NFL, like first, uh, first ballot, second ballot, third ballot, Hall of Famers. And, you know, I think the criteria is they have to... If you're adding on to that five years out of the game, at least before you can even be uh, talked about getting into the Hall of Fame, just to leave that, you know, that that recency bias out of it all.
0: They have something similar in the AFL where they got the Hall of Fame, but um, they keep, like, every, for everyone that comes, the joints, sorry, 20% of them can be eligible for, I think it's called the icons. So, like, that could be the immortals, you know, like, only 20% of the Hall of Fame numbers can be immortals. So, if we got like 100, Hall of Fame has only 20 Immortals. So, like, all... Yeah, something similar to that, you know?
4: Yeah, um, I just hope they don't oversaturate it with it all. Like, it's good that they're bringing it in, but if they're adding, you know, however many a year, I just by the time it gets in uh, 20 years' time, it'll sort of become a joke. So I hope they do keep it limited because it should be... Um, even Hall of Fame should still be the best of the best and then um, the, the Immortals should be the best of those... That's right, so, the elite
3: of the elite. Yeah, but yeah. That that's the exclusivity of each yearly class, if we're going that way, sort of like what Hamish was saying at the NFL, is um, very important. You can only have X amount of slots every year, whether it's three, four or five, and you can't go past that. And if that means that a, a great player misses out in a given year of eligibility, they then go to the second belt and the third belt, as once again Hamish was talking well, about.
2: Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's probably that high above the Hall of Fame, the Immortals, but maybe... Some years, there won't be an inductee. There'll be Hall of Fame inductees, but not Immortals. And that might yes, happen for four that, or five that, years before we get right. one. That, there know? will be.
3: Yep. That's how you keep the Immortals uh, status as prestigious as the best of the best. Yes. So, yeah, you're not going to have Immortals every year of eligibility for induction.
1: All right. And on to uh next bit of news, which is Alvaro cited for dangerous contact head, neck area on that tackle against um, Brian Kelly, was it? Um, so he's taken the early guilty plea, which we'll see him back in action this weekend. If he was to fight it, he could have seen one day out. I'm not sure what the carryover points are, uh, but I assume if he has something similar, he'll get an automatic week out.
3: It'd, um, it'd be a 125-point base charge, I'd say, with the 25% early guilty plea, so he'd have, like, n- like any uh, further uh, charge in the season would result in a minimum one-week suspension, just off the top of my head.
1: Yeah. Sounds about right. And on to the next bit of news, which is uh, Brad Takaraggi, we saw that um, that elbow to the eye, um, and that's resulted in an eye socket fracture, which will see him out until round ten. Now we were just talking about that before um, we came to air, but uh, in one way it's obviously it's it's detrimental to having uh tackers in the team and you know, we don't want wish an injury on any player, but it may make That forward rotation a bit simpler for B.A. to have Tepe, uh, Moroa start on the right edge and then shift in Kenny um, once Tepe shifts to the middle and we start moving our um, forward interchange along.
4: We were doing that last year and it it seemed to work for us. We finished top four, so um, I think if we go back to that, I like Kenny Woods on the bench. We'll discuss it later, obviously, but I like the energy that he brings. Good to see him um, back.
1: Well, that'll be in the next pod when we preview. So we're going to split it up again this week into two. I think that worked pretty well last week. All right. And does anybody else have any takes on Tacker's outfits for? for, uh,
3: It's it's shit luck for him. You know, he's one of the real good guys in our system, and he's been a core part of the. You know, the reason why the Eels have gone from sellers dwellers to uh, competitors in the big picture. So he'll he'll come back better for it, but it does clear up the picture selection-wise in the short term. And as you guys touched on, it lets us get back to that dynamic of Maroa and Edwards, which was arguably one of the better right edge uh, combinations across the wider NRL for out 2017. Well, to me,
2: the jury's still out on him as a as a back rower. So yeah, yeah. That, that's fair. That's and, very and fair. With this injury, for his sake, if Maroa and Kenny Edwards really nail down these spots, there's a chance he won't get back into the side, especially if we hit some form. Absolutely. And that's the, the ba- bad thing for Tacker, but it's it's probably good for the team because I think, to me, Tacker's is probably more of a a ball playing back row, and at the moment we don't need a ball playing back row. We need somebody who can hit up and run the ball hard and defend a
3: bit, a hard, bit of hard, hard yeah, edge smash. that's mouth. what we want. Someone, yeah, some, someone like, like
2: Kenny. You know, he he juggles around. He's good good on his feet. You know, he, he gets uh, the defence backpedaling on quick play of the balls and stuff, and and maybe this could be a good thing for the team.
1: Now, wrap up the news there, head straight into reviews. We're going to do it in reverse order this week. Um, Everybody wants to have their uh, say on the uh, demolition job of Manly 54, Eels nil on the weekend. I don't think I'm um, found guilty of using hyperbole and saying that that's probably one of the worst Eels performances in the history of the club. Um, Obviously, it's the worst defeat that BA's had while he's been in charge. Uh, so we started off the game well. We played our first set of six straight up the middle, kicked to the corner, and then we didn't see the ball for the next 10 minutes. Dive into it, boys. It was
3: um, very, very reminiscent of that round 10 loss against the Roosters last year. Absolutely minimal possession in the opening exchanges. The opposition team just runs away with it for a couple of quick tries. You know, the shoulders and head start to drop, you know, fall off tackles, and it just goes to shit, you know. And we, we had very small windows of opportunity to get back into the game. 18 0 down after the 40 20 from Cherry Evans and the mistake from Ava'a. We then knock over, the, um, knock over while we we're over the line twice with uh, Hayne and King, which was you know, sort of a devastating body blow when you're trying to get back into the game in those conditions. Um, it was just awful. And I think the biggest thing, if you, you're looking at big picture and historical relevance, is the Eels are now up against history because in the uh, history of the modern game, and I'm not sure if it dates back to the uh, pre-NRL era, but no team that has conceded 50 points in a regulation season match has gone on to win the NRL title. So now we've got to make
4: a little bit of history. Yeah, it just seemed um, the players didn't, especially the forwards didn't turn up for one another. That was a big thing. That um, BA built the, the side around and our culture around in 2016 2017 was uh, turning up for the player next to you, so making sure that you're always there for them. And it just, there was none of that. Um, I don't think there's much else to say, it was a poor performance. And um, so, yeah, they've got to definitely turn around their attitude this week. One thing that probably should be touched on is in
3: the context of the game itself, not so much Parramatta. Uh, as Manly as well, the referees didn't let much of the game play out through the middle of the field. It felt like both teams would get either penalties or mistakes in the red zones, and the sort of play would be there. It'd be like one tackle, two tackle, then fine touch, and there wasn't much exchanges through the um, the neutral zones, if you will, and that sort of led to us having a uh, historically low uh, kicking metres. Uh, what, what was it, fellas? Was it 68 metres or something that we ended something up kicking?
1: On, yes. on NRL, it says nine kicks for 109 metres. But, of course, take your stats from whichever... Um,
3: That's whichever source, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, it was one of those like weird games beyond us just being dreadful. Um, I was speaking to some manly supporters on the hill, and they, they were sort of remarking the same thing. Uh, there wasn't much game played outside of the 220 metre marks. Well, there was
1: 22 penalties conceded in in all and I think out of those 22, perhaps about 14 or 15 were inside the 10 penalties, um, which either occurred in the middle or right on the goal line, I guess.
3: And I suppose the huge difference between the two teams was mainly waltzed over for a stack of tries with their red zone opportunities, sort of five metres either side the uprights, which you know points to some real issues fronting up in defence, which Ham talked about just then, you know, not turning off for the bloke next to you. And we had a raft of opportunities both when uh, King and Hayne squandered their chances in the first half, and then opening the second half, we had a, a long run of possession uh, from, the, from the opening kickoff, which we then bombed by getting thrown into touch with Bev getting dragged ten metres. Uh, uh, legally, to legally drag ten metres across the field, and then that second run where we got three or four line dropouts and penalties combined, and we just did nothing with it. We, we were, you know, that classic problem of going sideways before you earn the right by working through the middle, and that sort of dogged us the entire day. We got driven into touch three or four times because of our desperation to go laterally and try and exploit something that wasn't there.
4: Yeah, um, I'm, w- I'm wondering if that could be because there was nothing happening in the middle for us, like. Um, but again, you sh- we shouldn't be going well. We should be trying to um, hit hard up in the middle before we even think about uh, going to our edges. I know that's our edges are sure. where our attack is supposed to be. Um, it's where we attack from. But, you know, you can't do anything out there. And that's why we're, we were being um, pushed over the sideline. I'd also wonder why we always went out the back to Bev. Um, yeah, so outside back the outside back constantly options. rushing up. I don't know why we didn't put in a, a grubber kick just in behind them. You know?
3: That's what happens when you know we've we've got a, a nice sort of diverse branch of edge options to flow through, but we played very one dimensional on Sunday, and mainly ate it up. And and getting back to what we're talking about with playing laterally before we played through the middle, it, it comes back to that whole dynamic of trying to chase points. We we're down 18 nil within the blink of an eye, and we sort of it, it rattled us and we went away from our identity from what makes us a very good football team. Uh, I touched on it in my post-match blog. But, you know, we were a shadow of the team that we were last year. And even in the opening rounds against Penrith, like for the first 30, 30, 40 minutes, we just, whether it was the heat getting to us or desperation, we we sort of lost who we were and Manly uh, capitalised on it in the biggest way possible.
1: And Birdie and PM, if you want to add in your two cents. (laughs) And obviously on your uh, vein of silence there, I'll throw over to Birdie.
0: So yeah, um, whatever Manley did paid off. You know, they first first touch of the ball, they get a penalty. They go down, get drop out. The ball bounces in the air, um, and we, we have to kick. We have to do drop out. Then they score. They get the ball back again. Kick a forty twenty. Like they, whatever they did paid
3: off. That was a hell of a kick by Cherry Evans as well. Oh, that was an yeah. awesome forty twenty. Like
0: it's just nothing went our way, and then another. Um, i got a theory that we, there was so many penalties in that game. So before the match, there was speculation that we might have water breaks or drink breaks, whatever they're called. Now, what makes what I think the referees saw, since we're not going to have any breaks, I'm going to try and make this game like stop, start, stop, start so the players can have a bit of a break. So I'm going to be a little bit nitpicky with penalties. That's just my theory as to why there was too, so many, you know,
3: so... You got you got your tinfoil out nice and early today. <laughs> oh,
1: well, I I think you do need to ref within the um, bounds of the that, game. You know, each game is right. its own one, and
3: that's that's true.
1: But you know, if you see both sides playing just inside the ten, usually the refs are, are, allow a leeway to both sides instead of blowing you know in excess of twenty penalties. But um, as part I of back that, to he, that yeah,
3: conversation. Um, I was going to say, come back to that conversation I had. The manly supporter, we were both pretty miffed that like the penalties of both teams seemed really loose. Like there were not bad offside infringements, and yet the whistle kept coming and coming and coming. So maybe, maybe uh, you know, after taking the piss out of Birdie, maybe there's something yeah. to it. Technically, like it's said, a penalty, it,
0: but you know, some, some penalties, some referees let it go, but this one they thought, you know what, I'm going to be nitpicking and at least help the players a bit by penalising them. You know, ironic that sounds, you know. <laughs>
1: Um, so That's just interesting back track. onto some stats. Uh, tackles made, we made an extra 140 tackles, which is 341 all up to Manly's 205. Missed tackles of 50 to Manly's 14 and ineffective tackles 36. So whilst that tackle count says 341, you know, it's probably closer to 400 considering all the tackles that we slipped off, all the offloads Manly had. Um, we just simply didn't wrap the ball. Our first up contact was atrocious, and that that especially goal line defence and that play where there was five players on Fanua Blake and he still Lloyd, managed Lloyd to get Perry, an offload. Oh, sorry, sorry, Lloyd Parrott, and he still managed to get an offload to to Jake Trevojevic. Um It's just simply not good enough. And 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 Manly's uh, bench rotation, it's it's not lauded. They're, they're, a lot of those players are reserve grade players and they completely belted our first grade bench rotation. It's just, um, as B.O. said, um, it was embarrassing um, and quite frankly, uh, the, the boys know they've let everybody down, not only themselves, but the club and the fans.
0: Another thing you should point out, uh, so Manly and Penrith both have a pretty big pack like in terms of there's no... Small forwards, you know, probably Kalepi's the smallest one in the manly, but they're all big, you know, six foot, you know, hundred ten plus kilo. So, you know, we've always been a small pack, so we it's all about our attitude and commitment. And that's you know, that's right.
3: We 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 fronted up to massive packs last year and belted them, but for the first two, I mean, for the first half of the Penrith game, the attitude was there, but for the last one hundred and thirty minutes, whatever it was, out of the the hundred eighty minutes, hundred sixty minutes that we have played. Just the the attitudes being piss poor. It's reflected in that initial contact, as Hamish was saying. It's reflected in the the effort to get across. Uh, when Daly Cherry Evans scored that opening try, you know he just he just jogged inside, and there was no one there but Brown, and Brown made a shocking attempt at a tackle, if we're going to be honest. But he was left he was left on an island. There was no you know pillar post support laterally, and Cherry Evans just falls over the line, and that starts the rot right there. And you know it, it's just about getting back the fundamentals for the boys, and. We, we know that they've been training hard. It was reflected in how they played against Newcastle in that opening trial, or the only trial that we played, which is another point of contention, I know, only playing one trial. But for whatever reason, the, the efforts on the training field are not translating to what's being produced on the playing field. And it's really frustrating. I imagine it'd be super frustrating for the playing group itself.
1: Yeah, so on, the, on those points, um, obviously we only had one trial. Um, and, and in a performance like that, you can't just nitpick one point But I think taking into a variety of factors, you know, Phil Gould said on the telecast that, you know, backing up one week after paying in 35 degree heat over in Penrith, obviously Manly had to play in the same heat, Um, but it it has had effect on the playing team, only having one trial, uh, probably lacking a bit of match fitness. And, and whilst there hasn't been many changes in the overall squad, um, obviously that right-hand corridor, which mainly exploited numerous occasions, is completely different to last season with Hoffman, Hayne, Moses, and then, of course, tackers on that right-edge defence. It's completely different to what it was last year with um, either Maroa slash uh, Kenny and then Moses, and then in the centre position, Jennings, and in the right wing it was Abba R. So whilst there isn't many changes in the overall squad, um, the dynamics of how though how they're positioned in the squad this season is quite different
3: while well, while we're talking about the issues of the right edge, can we just take a second to acknowledge the absurdity of the criticism surrounding Jared Hanne at the moment?
1: <laughs> I don't <laughs> think we <laughs> even need to if, if, it, if we, we don't want to acknowledge them it, it, it's just ridiculous
3: Trolls. it, it just it, it shows you how much of a human headline he is. In regards to the Australian media, that they would deliberately go out of their way to try and isolate him as the the core issue for what's happened in the first two rounds of Parramatta, when fundamentally the, the problem is so obviously set with team attitude, application, and then our work through the middle. It, it just it boggles my mind that, and I don't get me wrong, he hasn't played great football, but the opportunities haven't been there in attack for him, uh, in the large part, you know. And then defensively, there's there's been issues with the the right edge across as a whole. But the fact that you would go out of your way to try and pinpoint him as why the was are zero and two, including that devastating loss against Manly, just it makes me shake my head.
4: Yeah, um, you know, it's excusing the poor attitude of the other players on the field. Exactly. I, don't, I, don't, I don't like trying to find one or one player, especially who hasn't really had an impact on the game, to say that they may they're, they're the problem. They're, they're our problem. Like. It's obviously something different. Um, the boys just didn't turn up, and that's not because of Hayne. That's not not because of really anyone. It's only themselves that they didn't turn up. So yeah. Yeah,
3: it's, it's a group issue, not an individual issue. But, you know, the human headline, they, they love him, and, and they love to hate him.
4: And
1: as you were just saying, before 40, obviously um, through 60s, he's down at training all the time. They've seen the application at training. It's not as though... Uh, as the reports are coming out of the Titans, he's off in the, the toilets on his phone every five minutes or, or whatever else they were saying up there. The application in training, uh, the devotion to try and get himself fit, it's there. Uh, you can see in his physique when he takes off his shirt that you know, there's hardly a, an ounce of fat on him. It It's just about that whole team just hasn't shown up in the last two weeks as opposed to the individual he's trying. Yeah, we're trying. We've We've got the application at training. It just hasn't. Uh, manifested itself in uh, the on-field performances.
3: We even saw in Nathan Brown's comments he was wowed by our physicality and our you know intensity from the Newcastle trial, and you know it was look it looked like the team was staged to launch straight from that 2017 season into 2018. But just for whatever reason, in the opening rounds, have lost their way. And as as we said, it's not a matter of aptitude and application in the training uh, component of all. They're training hard and they're working their asses off. But they're not transferring what they're doing in, in the practice field to when they're playing on on game day, and it, that's just one of that's one of the quirks of sport in general, isn't it? If you could bottle that ability to train well, play well, that get all your confidence factor. in the right mm. places, that's right. Then you know it, sports would be so easy. Uh, but the fact is that the the intangible aspect of sports means that you get awesome runs like what we had in 2017 and 2009 but the flip side is you get these shitty runs where things are going wrong for no like obvious reason and you know players that are obviously good players and a team that is obviously a good team sort of just aren't quick yeah. and we've got to write it out and it sucks as a fan and I completely understand why Parramatta fans are blowing up at the moment and I've said as much in my blogs on, on TCT. I have no issues with people, you know, being mad at the moment because we're playing like shit, yeah. but it's just one of those things. Like that is sports in a nutshell and we've got the team, we've got the coach to write it out. So hopefully it starts this Saturday.
2: Yeah, and him? Yeah, so I, think, oh, sorry. I think um, some of this hay might have brought upon himself, but unintentionally, because back when he was at the club before, he virtually carried the team on his back, and he won games single-handedly for
3: the for the team. That, that that's true. That that's the yeah. So many, so many, not just fans but neutrals hold Jared too. Is that 9 '2014 uh, sort of runs where you know he's Dalian medalist, best player in the competition, and if he's not dominating the game, he's obviously a problem for the Eels. So oh, you're good, Ham. Yep.
1: <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> um, all right. Sorry, Ham, you were going to touch on something.
4: Um, no, I think I've pretty much said um, what I've need to say.
1: All right. And just one last uh, parting uh, thought on the first grade is if we, we harken back to round six last year. Who we are sitting at two wins, four losses on the ladder. So I think we need a bit of perspective. Um, we're only two rounds in. Uh, the season isn't over as yet. We've got another 23 rounds to go. Um, but having said that, we need to change it around pretty quickly.
3: Oh, for sure. And that, that's why you don't make irrational takes after two rounds because in 2017, the competition finishes after two rounds. Parramatta are the minor premiers and the winners in a first past the post situation. Yeah. And now, two rounds into 2018, we're coming last and, you know, by by and large, completely on our own backs. But, you know, there's a long way to run. And like you said, Hamish, rounds three to six last year, we were awful, had that four-game losing streak. We then sort of got out of that rut when Moses came across, but then got spanked by the Roosters in round 10, which I talked about at the start of the podcast because of the, the similarities between those two games on Sunday and the Roosters. But, yeah, there's a long way to run in this competition. And, you know, the, the boys have a lot to prove on Saturday because... It's not a matter of talking to talk anymore. They've got to go out there and, you know, make make some stuff happen with their actions. Yeah.
2: that's what I said to somebody who mentioned to me the other day, what a, what a terrible start and everything it was. And I said, well, if you look at last year, we'd, we'd, we'd only won two of our first six. We could If we win the next four, we actually have had a better start than last year. If we win three of the next four, we've had a better start than last year. And look where we ended up last year. So there's no panic stations
3: yet, but there's plenty of other
2: supporters ready to dig the knife in
3: but yeah. But by the same token, the fans have every right to be angry at the moment because the the standard of the product isn't good enough, or anywhere near good enough. So it's a matter of this next month of footy getting right and getting that ship going in the right direction. I think that's
2: more important is what we dish up this week after that embarrassment, and we'll talk about that in the in the next pod. But yeah, this this is really going to show the steel and the metal of this side is how they perform this Saturday. Well, good day,
1: getting the, the fans excited for the next pod. I, I like that, Pam. <laughs>
3: That's it. Hype it up. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm pumped for Saturday. You know, maybe I'm a sucker for, for punishment, but I'm really pumped up to see what the team can do on Saturday.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm and going to the Easter be... show. Easter show. <laughs> oh, God, God damn it, Bertie. You pipe
3: up for the Easter I show. love you, Bertie. I love you. <laughs> don't, don't forget but to get a my ben, little ben, plenty ben, show we...
2: bag while you're there too, Bertie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: But, man, we'll touch on it next episode as well. But it's a really cool storyline coming into this with the two 0-2 teams from what were, you know, two two of the presumptive heavyweights of the competition.
1: Well, come on. Uh, Let's not ruin it. We've given them a taster. We'll have to get onto it after. Now, on to ISP. Another disappointing result, Blacktown Workers, Sea Eagles, winning 46 to nil over Wentie. There was a host of changes in that Wentworthville team, Uh, most predominant. Which I think had probably a bigger bearing on the outcome was Reed Marnie or Cash Marnie uh, going back to play for Fleg.
3: You stole it. You,
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> you stole. It. I'm, I'm never forgiving you for that. Mate. <laughs> Cha-ching. <laughs> or now,
1: um, uh, Forty and Ham, you you were down there. Is that correct?
3: Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, it was a rough game. Uh, it it was very. Uh, a very good reflection of what the first grade team dished up in a way. Uh, awful discipline, awful possession rates. Uh, we just didn't respect the football, didn't respect the uh, the ref. Like not so much as back chat, but res- respect the way the the, the game was been officiated, which led to a lot of penalties coming against us. Uh, I I knew it was going to be a, a very not spiteful but uh, chirpy game. Uh, Blacktown have a lot of ex Parramatta players and ex Wentworthville players in their lineup, so there was a lot to prove for those guys. Uh, being cast offs of the Eels and then moving over to a, one of our, you know, traditional rivals in Manly. And sort of we just we played awful and did everything awful. We dropped the ball, we gave away penalties, we didn't look like scoring and Blacktown just played good football. And it wasn't like they challenged us with great football, they just played good football.
4: Yeah um Hamish you touched on it just when you're opening it up. But um the change from Reed Mar- from uh, Reed Martin to Kayser Pritchard was massive because Reed plays like a, a halfback out of dummy half. Uh, he's got a kicking game, um, excellent passing game. Um, I think Pritchard, along with the halves that when he do have, it it doesn't work, um, especially when you don't have Leune, who's also not a really uh, particularly good ball playing fullback either it's just it's not a very uh there's no way the spine is
3: there the the, the the spine is not a very experienced or talented isp spine and reed money's playmaking ability sort of alleviated a huge chunk of
4: those issues absolutely and um you know you'd like to think that uh with a player like Varve and Gao, you can sort of um make up for the halves but even still um I'd, yeah the spine just didn't I'd, I'm not excused I'm not gonna excuse all the other players who uh, also perform poorly just purely because of the spine but um, yeah I'm, I'm not sure if that is the the um, right reserve grade uh, team to move forward I think there will be some changes later on in the year and there will be some um, more experienced halves moving up from Mon Massey Cup but I believe there's a few contract issues there with um, Bo Henry and Arana Tomata. So if they can get um, everything sorted there, they'll definitely, those two will come up and make this winning team a lot better for reserve, for reserve grade competition.
3: And on, on top of that, I, I wasn't surprised to see it come out today, but uh, Jamin Salmon was initially slated to have a round three return from his neck injury, but uh, in today's uh, injury report he's being pushed back to round five, which was more in line with what I'd heard initially going back to the pre-season. Uh, but he's another uh, loss for Wenty in his unavailability because he's uh, one of those guys that would be considered a, a frontline line halves prospect for the Magpies once he had a little bit of game time under his belt in the 20s. So they're, they're missing a few hands on deck when it comes to core playmaking positions. It doesn't excuse their effort and application on Saturday, but it does explain why they're having problems converting field position into points and then also just getting field position in general with the way they finish their sets. Uh, having said that, um, one player that's really impressed me in the opening two weeks is Dane Akerfleur. Uh He had an awful, awful finish in 2017. We've spoken about it before. The Holden Cup Grand Final was his worst game I've ever seen. But he's been really diligent in how he's performed in the first two weeks. Uh, really, really strong, committed defense, doing some of the tough work coming out of the halves, some quality offloads uh he's not been used very well in the red zone but that comes back to the halves it's mostly just sort of inside lines running back to the post to set up the next move but uh, i really like how he's um he's come to 2018 and applied himself so i, I don't know if he's in the mix for first grade anytime soon but as a young outside back he's doing the right things and making the progress that i really wanted to see from him after the way he finished 2017
4: and um i'd like to give out a shout out to Ray Stone i thought um his first game as captain was pretty good. He There was a few mistakes he made, but they could have been um, just as easily as penalties He uh, was him. pretty
3: upset with the referee.
4: Yeah, um, unfortunately he got his second concussion in a week, so he's having a week out. But, um, yeah, uh, he's, he's, I think he's, uh, he's played hard and he'll play tough. Um, so, yeah, uh, fingers crossed he's all right and doesn't have too many problems with uh, concussions uh, leading into the further games.
1: Now the uh, flag under twenties grand final um, revenge game saw the Eels flag team come away thirty eight to six victors over Manly, um, and as we touched, and as we touched on before, Reed Marnie made his way back into the starting nine position. He's still twenties eligible, um, so we had some try scorers in this one. Um, given we didn't have any try scorers in the other two matches, <laughs> we saw Kafusi um, cross the line. Afu got two, Tupo with two, and Reed Marnie picking up one for himself.
4: Um, also, I'm reading the New South Wales Rugby League website and it says Michael Cheer also scored a try.
3: Yeah, I, 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 I recall him.
4: Yeah.
1: All those try scorers, um, and they've got a bit of a a revenge over that grand final uh, match. Did you guys manage to catch the flag before the first grade, or was it a bit too hot in that sun out there? <laughs>
3: Ham did. I, however, had to rely on my cousin's mate to get the tickets, so I didn't have access to the ground, unfortunately.
4: Yeah, I was uh, pretty lucky where I was sitting was um, already in the shade, so that was good. Um, They played a lot better this week. I don't think Manly are the same team that they were last year, and they were flogged by Newcastle by 48 points or something the week before, so... Um, I'm not. Sh- yeah, I, I don't really know much about uh, opposition 20s uh, teams, but we looked good. Um, our our spine, our halves uh, got more into the game earlier on. I think that was from uh, Reid Marnie playing. He sort of brought up the energy in the team. Um, but yeah, uh, the forwards ran hard. Uh, Michael Tupu obviously got his two tries, but I thought um, Sean Kepi had a good game. He played, I think, it was about 65 minutes. Um, before being substituted. And, you know, he had some um, good runs there, some good tackles. Uh, who else had, Joe Taipari, I thought, had another good game. He sort of took, took control of the game again. Um, yeah, we had another concussion there. Michael Cheer, he was uh, taken off, I think, in the first half. And so, yeah, unfortunate for him, but he's named again. We'll get onto that later on. But, yeah, I thought they were uh, overall... A much better performance from them. They held the ball, uh, defended much better. So it should be uh, a good one. That's the secret,
3: isn't it? They held on to the bloody the ball. ball. Yep. And that's that's, that's been the, the bane of every grade so far, except Harold Mats, I think. Yeah. Uh, SG yep. ball flag in the preseason. Flegg in uh, round one against uh, Penrith. And Wenty obviously, um, this week, as long as, along with the NRL team. Just not respecting possession and not respecting the football when it comes
4: to your own attacking structures. Yeah, it seems if you complete your sets, kick low, chase hard, um, you'll come up Trump's this year. And we haven't done that for the most part.
1: So, talking about a team that didn't come up Trump's SG ball on the Saturday, going down to the Sharks, obviously big rivalry there, 16-35. to uh, Ham and 40 you were in attendance
4: yeah um again well as I just touched on you know that oh it's forty touched on they didn't complete their sets they were, i don't know what I don't know what's wrong with them it's just sim it's from nearly every single player, whether it be a forward or a back uh whenever they're going into a tackle, they're just dropping the ball cold and it's it's obviously not good enough because they're not they're not winning. there was a point in the second the start of the second half um we scored off our first set of sits our first set of six and um, we held the ball and then all of a sudden we get the ball back again, we complete a set and you know what? We scored again right on the back of a completed set. So, you know, there's the they've got the, the team there and the talent there, two score points, but it's just, they've just got to hold to the ball and for the past month or so they haven't done that and I'm not, I'm not sure what's wrong with it because it can't be uh, talent-wise because when Kyle Schneider was there, again, they were still dropping the ball so it's not from a leadership perspective. It's not from a talent perspective. It's something else that's wrong with them, and they're just uh, dropping the ball cold. But, yeah, and it was... Uh, don't get me wrong, Trinella are a very strong side. They've, um... Their halves were absolutely... Kyle, all Kyle Broadhurst, the number six. Yeah, and um, even their fullback, Kyle, uh, Kyle Pickering. Kyle Pickering. Um, they're absolutely huge. Pl- like, for a, a half and fullback, they're Skill absolutely huge. They're and, um... Yeah, they just ran rings around our players and we had no, we had no answer for it.
3: Yeah, and we, we sort of fielded a bit of a ragtag team West on Saturday. We had a, a utility sort of forward slash half playing on the wing. Uh, Joseph, Joe Small sort of reprising his role in the centres as a, a back rower. Uh, and Jaden Yates has stepped into the starting hooking roles with Tyler Field dropping from starting half to bench utility. But it, it doesn't excuse the issues of this team, and it's plagued them for some from day dot this season. Uh, a team full of fantastically talented individuals, even with all the injuries and unavailable players like uh, Dylan Brown, who's playing uh, flag, obviously. Uh, you know, you're missing three of your first choice starting spine in Brown, uh, Bailey, Beyondioto, and Carl Schneider now. Uh, but you know, it doesn't excuse the, the simplicity of the errors. It, it's just. You can't even explain it, can you, Ham? Like you said, they're going into tackles and dropping the ball. It, it's not even a complicated error. It is just the most basic of errors. And they, they'll get themselves in a position to be taking a shot at winning the game, like we did when we caught our way back into the, the game in that second half with the, the sort of bang-bang Matt Dury tries in, in three minutes. And then all of a sudden, that they just drop the ball, fall off tackles, and the game slips away from rapidly. And I mean, this is this is a playing group that sort of made its name on playing as a team really well, and much. It's a little bit like the NRL. It, you can't really explain what's gone wrong, but it's not right at the moment. And uh, maybe maybe all it takes is an ugly win. Uh, you know, just one ugly win where you battle against all the elements, battle against yourself, battle against the opponents, and you you get a two point win. And that sort of just starts to right the ship. It happened last year in 2017 for the NRL team from that round three to round six uh, slide. And we, we came back, was it against the Tigers? I'm not, I'm not sure who we won against in the end. We
1: were down at half time in the Tigers and came back to win yeah. it.
3: It was ugly as sin. You know, it, it was like one of the least glamorous wins we've had on the Brad right half is um, tenure. But it started right in the ship. And it's just, you know, those sort of... And who was it? Uh, uh, one of the NRL coaches today. And what was it? Uh... Nathan Brown maybe uh, was, or maybe it was uh, You're Mary telling McGregor. the story It was Mary <laughs> McGregor I'm, I'm just trying to think of 360 today I was watching it before the podcast was was talking about how sometimes you just got to win ugly and that is one of the, the greatest truisms of rugby league is you're not going to be scoring you know, 30 points a game and looking like flash superstars all the time and sometimes you got to roll your sleeves up and that's what these teams need to get their focus back on is rolling their sleeves up and you know working for those victories
1: well a team that did roll their sleeves up over the weekend is a team that came into the season not knowing too much about the squad and the makeup of it all but they've exceeded expectations with Harold Matthews taking a 30 to 8 win over the sharks you see,
3: you see me lay this up for you Hamish i served it up for you on a silver platter and you know how you repaid me you took my money joke you <laughs> took my money joke and ran with it wait, wait.
1: Got to take those segues. Got to, you know, boost myself up after the last two
3: days that I've had. <laughs> yeah, Sean, Sean Russell's there. All right, to Harold the Matthews. How did you guys know, see the know, the action like, down there, you
4: know, practices and whatnot? But he strikes some um, Yeah, he just the ne- turnaround from never from looks them like from the um, first game that I saw them in. It's been the exact opposite of um, what we've seen in SG ball and first grade. You know, they were dropping the ball, weren't playing as a team, and all of a sudden after the Penrith loss, you know, they've looked at their mistakes, they have thought, you know, shit, we've got to get back into this. And look what's happened. They've absolutely flogged the past uh, four teams that they've played or something. Um, there's definitely talent in the team. I'm not sure if there's uh, any certain... There's not many certain standouts at the moment. You see sometimes individual um, players from like uh, Penasini, uh, Arthur, Komalafi, uh, Torhi and Tateo. But they're not really breaking games open like we've seen. Sort of your Tui Afawalos, your Dylan Browns in the past... They're just sort of. They're more playing as a team, and that's the way they need to play, and they've worked that out. Um, this game, uh, yeah, thirty to what was it, eight? Uh, sharks were never in it, I don't think. Um, Sean Russell converted three from the absolutely fantastic goals from the sideline. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was actually splitting the posts. There was one right in front of us um, in the second half where it was it was dead set on the sideline and he swung it and went right in the middle, like over the black dot from the sideline. It was absolutely fantastic kick. Um, I'm very impressed with him. Um, the one that's really caught my eye, especially over the past two weeks, is our uh, winger, Matthew Komalafi. Um, really tall winger. I, I think he might be the tallest in the team. Um I haven't seen him in space, but I imagine he's quick with those long legs. But he jumps high, he times his runs well, he's strong. Um, yeah, uh, uh, past two weeks he's been an absolute standout for me, for me. I,
3: I was I was actually going to raise his name if if you didn't mention him, yeah. which would have been a shock. But, yeah, if, if you had like an adopt a player program, you know, for, for each grade, he'd like, absolutely be the player you'd pick in, in mats. He's been a really fun addition to the squad and been great to watch. I think he's of um, African extract. He's that sort of big, tall, gangly, athletic build. Uh, but he's not like those raw athletes that you often see in those grades, and it's kind of like, oh, toss him the football and let him run with space, and, you know, he'll score a try by running around the opposition. He, he very much plays with a lot of nuance and touch to his game. He will do a lot of work coming out of the half. He's shown really good touch in the aerial components of the game. He uh, uh, set up the first try for the Eels with a nice little tap back in field and then scored the... was it the second or the... F- the second try, I think it was, of the day where he, he, he sort of did the same thing but caught the ball and planted it himself that time. Uh, but, yeah, he's been really, really good. Uh, just trying to think. I mean... Each week they're usually like among the better performers, but uh, Peter Tateo, Caleb Tohi, those um big athletic forwards, and they're not monstrously big when we're saying big. You know every team's got a couple of monsters, but these guys are just like good sized athletic hard workers. Um,
4: Trey Mooney, you know he doesn't, he's not the biggest out there, but he's playing long minutes out there and as captain uh, that's really good of him. He doesn't really make um, a huge run like Tateo or Tohi.
3: Well, he's, he's probably probably dialed back his impact in light of that because last year he was an impact player on the edges. But, you know, his roles changed a little bit and, they've, you know, almost unselfishly, you know, sort of changed his like the way he plays
4: the absolutely. better the team. Um, this, the, as, a, as a group of uh, young men, they're playing absolutely some really good football. So, yeah, excited to see um, yeah, really. how they really fare cool. in the finals. Also, Drew Leloyd scored the last try. <laughs>
1: Lloyd, And on to Tasha Gales, unfortunately, to round out uh, the weekend of uh, not great results, uh, went down as we flagged against the the two sort of tiers in this competition, 68-6 to six against the Sharks. But coming off on the next podcast, they will have a chance at redemption to pick up their first win of the season, taking on the Raiders. Um, but for now... Um, I think you've had – well, did we want to have any last thoughts on that first grade? There was something I didn't touch on back um, earlier, which was going to be the Mitch Moses sin binning. Um, fair dinkum Moses. Uh, you've got two blokes that are injured already off. You're down by 30 points, um, and I understand your frustration, but simply it's not good enough as a first grader to put your teammates in that position.
3: Yeah, I know I know that some people spoke about they are all glad because it shows passion. Um, passion is not an issue for this team. You know, the, to, to question the passion of the team is, you know, to question the underlying fabric of these guys that went through the hell in 2016, and you know, and clawed their way into the top four last year. Pa- passion is not the issue. Uh, you know, we, we've spoken about, you know, where they need to get better. But it's just undisciplined. And like you said, Hamish, it's putting more burdens on it, on his teammates that are already struggling in, you know, torrid conditions, in, you know, in their own issues as a team and individually. And he's just exacerbating the problem with with these send- send-offs, these simbinings. And against Penner, fair enough, you know, that was sort of fight or flight, make a, a tackle on the goal line to try and save a try, okay, whatever. But to come back this week and then, you know, give a verbal to the referee... You know, you just, you're asking for trouble, and nothing, nothing good is ever going to come from it.
2: Yeah, well, um, somebody who was at the game was outside the sheds. They waited outside the sheds for the players to leave and got some autographs and stuff. They spoke to Mitchell about this, and he said that he actually didn't say anything to the referee, that he was having a go at a couple of his teammates for giving away the penalty, and that the referee assumed that he was talking to him and just sent him straight to the bin.
3: He said, what are you going to do? You can't argue with it. You just go, don't you? And um, that, that's actually an interesting point, PM. And further to that, after after I've given him a verbal for letting the team down, I will commend Mitch Moses because I saw a post on social media after the game that he stuck around well after the game was over to sign jerseys for both Parramatta and Manly fans. And I think he ended up giving some of his kid away to a Manly player as well, yeah, a young Manly he guy. he did it. On
2: so, some boots. Some, a, a young... Some Manly supporters, I think they came down from Tamworth or something for the game. Um, sat there in the heat all day, waited around outside, and the Manly players, yeah, they went a different way and got onto a bus and left, and Mitch was out the back there, and he gave them the boots and signed the boots for him and gave him to him. What a great bloke.
3: This this, this segues, seg. Oh my God, segues me into my final point for this part of the podcast, in that on 360 tonight, Paul Kent sort of gave both barrels at the Eels because he had you know, chopped up footage of the Parramatta players having a, a chat to the Manly players after the game and then he had selected footage of Manly oh Manly of um Melbourne and the Cowboys and their players looking miserable after the loss. And he's gone you know, he, his whole agenda was I'm so sick of teams like Parramatta after a bad loss, you know, looking like they're happy, you look at this picture, you can't tell who's lost. And one thing first things first is that if you selectively pick the footage, you're gonna be able to find any team looking happy after a loss these days. That's just how it is when you go and shake hands and have a chat with the opposition. Everyone knows everyone in the NRL these days. But it sort of plays into the Mitchell Moses thing in that, yes, the team's in a shit spot right now and, you know, maybe they could show more emotion after a loss if, if you know, Kent's right and they'll absolutely happy chappies after that. But I am glad that they're not neglecting their responsibility to the fans, both of Parramatta and of Manly, after such a, a hiding you know, Moses had every every right to just piss off to the change rooms and get on the team bus and, you know, nick off back home. But he did the right thing by the fans there. So kudos to you, Mitch. Just keep the discipline on the field, you know, a little bit sharper, mate.
2: Yeah, and people who did stay back said that I think nearly all the players did. The only one who left was Tacker with a ice pack on his head, which is fair enough because he cop, yeah. you copped an injury. <laughs> but, but everybody else hung around and signed autographs as they left. And that was really good considering the flogging they copped. I think that was a, a great thing to do.
3: Very, very much respect to the players for that because that, you know, they do have that uh, responsibility to the fans, but it would suck having to um, front up after such a shit performance. So that is one thing they've done right um, last weekend for sure.
1: All right. And we'll get on to all of that in the next podcast with the preview. Obviously, they've got to be a lot better if they're going to get their first win of the season. Um, so thanks from from everybody here, and um, we'll catch you on the next Power Podcast, which will be the round three preview in the um, top three grades, and of course the round seven preview in the um, the junior reps. Thanks, guys. See you later. Yeah.